What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, live from my uh, home. Now it's my home studio. It used to be my home office. I used to just write books here, but now we're doing a radio and TV show from here. Last night, Louise and I, she had ordered some groceries a week ago. The delivery window now in, in Portland is one week out. My best friend in New York tells me in New York City the delivery window for groceries is now two weeks out. So if you live in an area where your delivery window is a lot shorter than two weeks or one week, you might want to stock up. If you're getting deliveries, you might want to ask for some deliveries sooner because it probably these kinds of windows, time windows, are coming to a town near you. But the Associated Press recently did a good roundup story about how the Trump administration basically procrastinated for months before acknowledging the gravity of this situation that we're facing as a nation. And the article, and I'm going to share that with you in just a moment, it answers a lot of the what questions, you know, how they blew it and how Trump kept saying, oh, there's no problem, and then going and going and playing golf, and oh, there's no problem, and then going and playing golf, and oh, there's no problem, and then going and playing golf. And until finally it was like, oh, my God, there's a problem. And suddenly Fox News does a pivot so fast that Sean Hannity's head is spinning. So it answers all those what questions, you know, what Trump was doing, what the Trump administration was doing. That article doesn't talk about it, but others talk about how the U.S. Chamber of Commerce was lobbying Trump not to do anything, essentially, certainly not to use the Defense Production Act. We got a bunch of Democratic senators writing uh, just a rip them a new one letter to the Chamber of Commerce saying, what's going on here? So we know the what's. What we don't know are the why's. Why would the Trump administration be this callous in their disregard for the lives of Americans. Why? I don't know the answer to the question, and maybe we can crowdsource the answer. Why did Trump procrastinate for two months? Was he trying to squeeze a few months of extra revenue out of his hotels? 
was it that he was watching Fox News and they were saying there's no problem. And so he was saying there was no problem. So Fox was quoting him saying there's no problem. And then he was hearing himself being quoted on Fox. And so he really thought there was no problem. In other words, uh, an evil, deadly feedback loop between Trump and Fox News had opened up just like a giant whirlpool, a huge vortex, you know, the Bermuda Triangle. Like it just sucked the whole thing down into a black hole. Is that what happened? Was he creating a deadly right-wing media feedback loop that even went beyond Fox News? You've got all these right-wing radio shows and hosts. Up until last week, Rush Limbaugh was saying that this was a hoax and that it was being promoted by the Democrats to take down Trump. Was it so his billionaire buddies, so that Wilbur Ross and the guys in his cabinet, uh, Betsy DeVos, they're billionaires. Wilbur, Wilbur Ross is worth $3 billion. Betsy DeVos is worth $5 billion. They got a lot of money in the stock market. Was he trying to give his billionaire buddies time to unload their stocks, you know, like Richard Burr did or Kelly Loeffer, the two Republican senators who attended a security briefing that said this is going to get really, really bad, really, really fast, and they sold all their defense stocks. Kelly Loeffler, the wife of the president of the New York Stock Exchange, actually, according to some reports, bought stocks like Citrix that would be good for working from home. And perhaps Richard Byrd did as well. I mean, these these reports are all kind of scattered right now. We're just starting to get the information. But was it to help his billionaire buddies? Was it because he knew that it would hit the economy a hit to the economy that would hurt his re-election chances, and he thought maybe, just maybe, he could just bluster his way through this. I mean, he's done that his whole entire life, right? He just lies and BSs his way through things, and eventually they work out because people around him pick up the pieces and do things right, or he just declares bankruptcy and walks away. I mean, basically, that's been the two ways that Trump has succeeded through life. To the extent that you can say that he's a success, he's declared bankruptcy six times. That doesn't sound like a success to me. He's a serial failure. His father gave him $400 million and he pissed it all away. I mean, it's just... But the question that I'm asking is why did Trump delay? His delay is going to cost tens of thousands of lives, possibly hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of American lives. Deaths that are completely unnecessary, that are wreaking havoc on our healthcare system. I have two kids who are frontline, first line healthcare providers. One of them is rotating to the ER in a week and a half. Here in Portland, we're hearing stories that the emergency room docs and uh, throughout the hospital, they don't have the personal protective equipment that they want. I mean, what's the deal here? Why did he decide to do this? when he could see other countries getting this thing under control with social distancing and shutting their economies down, why did he do this? I mean, there's perhaps a a broader picture here. Remember in 2002, George W. Bush ordered hundreds of thousands, I believe it was hundreds of thousands of young American men and women into battle in Afghanistan first and then in Iraq without body armor, and in Humvees that were not appropriately armored. So in those early days, you had all these fatalities and all these you know, wounded people, particularly wounded from IEDs, because George W. Bush just hadn't planned for the war. Remember his Secretary of Defense coming down Rumsfeld, coming out and saying, well, you go to war with the army you have, not the army you'd like to have. But you know, the fact of the matter is that, that George W. Bush knew before he was elected 
that he was going to declare a war on Iraq. He had told that to Mickey Herskowitz a year before he was elected, that that's what you do. You become a wartime president. That's how you get reelected. And sure enough, that's how he got reelected in 2004. It was, we're at war. Stay with me. Trump is trying to do the same thing. Gee, I'm a wartime president now. Isn't this cool? Is this a Republican thing? I mean, I don't know if Franklin Roosevelt sent people into World War II without proper equipment. I don't think so. I think that within a matter of a week or two, he had every factory in America producing goods for the army, for the military, and producing the things that people needed. Is this a Republican thing? I just don't get it. Is it that they don't care about the lives of the private first class who's, who's charging into battle in Iraq without body armor and an unarmored Humvee? That they don't care about the lives of the nurses and doctors who are treating people in the ERs? Because, hey, we're Republicans. We're rich. We've got our own private doctors and nurses. We've got private clinics. We have concierge medicine. Is that what's going on? Last week, there were reports about America's oligarchs getting on their private planes and flying to their private bunkers or their private islands with their own nurses and doctors and their own ventilators. States are being outbid in the marketplace for ventilators by rich people who want them in their homes. I mean, is this a Republican thing? Why? Why did Donald Trump delay? Why, why all these, quote, missteps? Why did he do this? And why does it look like he's about to return to a period of denial and doing nothing? Why? When that's going to probably produce more economic wreckage than what he's already done. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I mean, I have some theories, but I'm genuinely baffled by this. So testing blunders crippled U.S. response as coronavirus spread. This is the article I was telling you about from the Associated Press. They talk about this series of missteps. First of all, Trump earlier this month said that the COVID-19 test that the CDC had developed was perfect and that, quote, anyone who wants can get a test. But the AP points out it's been two months since the first case of this was confirmed in the United States and people still can't get tested. They write, in the critical month of February... That's the entire month of February. Keep in mind, Trump knew about this in December from his intelligence agencies. The world knew about it in January. The first cases were officially released by the Chinese government on January 1st, or actually on December 31st, on on, on New Year's Eve. So we knew about it in December. Trump knew about it in December. We knew about it in January. In the entire month of February, according to CDC data, the federal government processed 352 cases. That's an average of a dozen a day. The entire month of February. Now, it was the second week of January that South Korea started testing people. Or maybe it was the third week. Third week of January. February, we're doing nothing. Tedros Gehebrus, head of the World Health Organization, says you can't fight a fire blindfolded. You need testing. But the early decision, this is again back to the AP article, the early decision not to use the test adopted by the World Health Organization 
plus government guidelines restricting who could be tested and delays in engaging the private sector by the Trump administration. All of these things combined to cause February to just slide by with probably what are you know several million infections. My best guess, based on the number of sicknesses and fatalities we're seeing, is that there's probably around 4 million Americans who are walking around with this virus right now, which means in three days it's going to be 8 million, which means three days after that it's going to be 16 million. Three days after that it'll be 32 million. I mean, you see how these numbers start cranking up every three days. And when you combine that with the messaging out of the White House, I mean, consider, on New Year's Eve, Chinese scientists informed the World Health Organization. Less than two weeks later, the Chinese had sequenced the virus. Within days of that, this is January 17th, German scientists had developed a test that could identify that virus, and the World Health Organization adopted that German test and published technical guidelines on January 17th. And by January 18th, they were working with private companies to produce the test. Private companies that could have sold the test into the United States had we decided to allow it here. That was January 17th. Keep in mind, the entire month of February, we tested on average a dozen people a day. We're a country of 330 million people. The CDC published the technical details on January 28th, two weeks late, 10 days after the WHO. A 35-year-old man was the first American to test positive. He arrived in Seattle on January 15th. Federal officials announced the results of his swab on January 21st. We're still back in January. And what did Donald Trump say on CNBC the following day after this guy had been tested? He said, we have it totally under control. It's just one person coming in from China. Everything's going to be fine. On January 30th, a week later, the day of the World Health Organization, declared the outbreak a public health emergency. Trump again assured the American people that the virus was very well under control. He then went to Mar-a-Lago in Florida for the weekend and tweeted pictures of himself playing golf. And at the same time, U.S. citizens coming back from China were not being tested for the virus. Keep in mind, this is, this is January 30th. Four days after the U.S. declared a state of emergency, only 178 people had been tested. Four days after we declared a state of emergency, by mid-February, only about a half dozen state and local public health labs had reliable tests. By mid-February. Again, Trump knew about this in December. As more sick people sought to be tested, many states were forced to limit access because of the flawed CDC test. On February 24th, we're now in February, we're getting toward the end of February, people are really starting to get sick. Exasperated officials at the Association of Public Health Laboratories sent a letter to the FDA asking permission for state labs to develop their own tests. And a few days later, the FDA said on February 27th, said, okay, cool, develop your own test. We can't handle this. On February 27th, three days after that, Donald Trump goes before the TV cameras and says, one day, it's like a miracle. It will just disappear. And at that point, experts say the opportunity to halt the relentless spread of the virus within the U.S. population had been lost. South Korea had their first confirmed case on January 20th, the same day we had our first confirmed case. On March 6th, Trump and Alex Azar went to the CDC and promised that the following week, the week before last, that there would be four million test kits distributed. He was lying through his teeth. 
Why did he do this? You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Is he because he thinks just kill off the old people? Is that what's going on? He's one of them himself. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I posted basically my little rant here this morning on Facebook, and somebody posted a graphic that has some numbers on it. January 5th, Trump plays golf. January 18th, cabinet member advises Trump the virus is serious. 
Trump goes out and plays golf January 18th. January 19th, plays golf. January 27th, Mick Mulvaney tells Trump the virus is a national security issue and he gets fired. February 1st, Trump plays golf. February 2nd, Trump says, we pretty much shut everything down coming from China. It's all good. February 2nd, he plays golf. February 15th, he's playing golf. February 19th, he says, oh, I think it's going to work out just fine. February 25th, oh, the 15 cases in a couple days will be down to zero. February 26th, one day it will disappear. It's like a miracle. We're all going to be substantially down, not up. And then February 28th, he's going on and on about this. I mean, this is what he has been doing and saying. And it looks like probably tonight he's going to go back to it and, and imply again more strongly that next Monday he's going to lift the... There are no federal restrictions on behavior right now. They're all being done by states. So what Trump is doing with this increasingly minimalistic or marginalizing these the concerns kind of rhetoric, what he is doing is he is right in the face, basically, of the nation's governors. Is it because he's angry that Andrew Cuomo, with his morning briefings, has now become basically our acting president? And Cuomo is making Trump look stupid or look like he's incompetent or incapable. I mean, you just compare the two of them, just even the way that they speak. Trump comes off like a bully bluster salesman, right? Like Biff, you know, the, the high school bully who grew up and became a used car salesman. And listen, I'm going to tell you how great this thing is. This, this little car is going to do everything. And, you know, like that. Larry in Coos Bay, Oregon. Hey, Larry, what are your thoughts? Hey, Tom. Well, there's a pattern, and it's not really a theory, but uh, we know that Republicans are prophets over people. I was in Michigan. I lived in St. Clair Shores, right above Detroit and Gross Point, during the Flint water crisis. And I worked with Clean Water Action, and we warned the legislator, and we warned the Governor Snyder at that point, you can't change that water over without first figuring out what the scenario is giving a polluted Flint River instead of a Lake Huron filtered water supply. And they ignored it. And then when they had to fix the pipes, I went up there and I was lobbying in um, Lansing. And you know what the Republican legislators told me? Off the record, of course. They're poor. They're black. They don't vote. They don't contribute to my campaign. It's cheaper to let it go. 100,000 people, wow. if they get sick, we don't want to cover them. If they die, they'll try to sue us. It's the Pinto. It's the Pinto all over again. And then you look at what happened after Hurricane Sandy and Hurricane Katrina. Everybody was left to wallow in their own stuff. And then you look at what happened in Puerto Rico after the hurricane. They're still not getting relief, and who knows what's going on in there right now. So again, it's a transactional scenario. It's too expensive to let these people be fixed. They don't want to fix them. And as far as the manipulation you know, of the market... He just says, you know, I'm going to do this. It goes up. He tells his friends the night before, go in there and, and you have an opportunity to, to sell at a higher price than what you bought it at. And then I'm going to tank the market again. And you're going to, again, be able to rebuy what, you know. And, and this is the way they operate. It's, they don't care about people's lives, especially people who don't support them as far as their monetary donors are concerned. Here's a couple of data points. Number one, six of Donald Trump's seven top earning hotels. This is from Laura Clausen on Daily Coast. Six of Donald Trump's seven top earning hotels and clubs is shut down, and suddenly he's all hot to reopen business nationwide. These properties together produce $174 million a year in revenue, or $478,000 a day, according to the Washington Post. 
Trump's hotels in Washington, D.C., Chicago, and New York are still open, but their restaurants are closed, which is another revenue hit. And Trump, of course, is very enthusiastic about a hotel bailout. He's also thinking about his re-election chances. The problem is that his strategic thinking is like one week ahead. And then you get this lieutenant governor of Texas, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of Texas. He went on Tucker Carlson's show last night, and he said, and you know, Tucker, no one, and he's 70 years old. He says, and you know, Tucker, no one reached out to me and said, as a senior citizen, are you willing to take a chance on your survival in exchange for keeping the America that all America loves for your children and grandchildren? And if that's the exchange, I'm all in. Patrick went on on the Tucker Carlson show saying that if he exposed himself to the virus, if he died in his 70s, he said, that would make me noble. That would be brave. No, I'd say that makes you a sociopath. And, and I agree with Laura Clausen on this. But Patrick finished. This is the lieutenant governor of Texas. Just to understand what kind of message these, these right-wing Republicans are sending, he says, let's get back to work. Let's get back to living. Let's be smart about it. And those of us that are 70 plus, we'll take care of ourselves. But don't sacrifice the country. Right. Well, Governor Patrick, I'm with Laura Clausen on this. If you really believe that, go to your local hospital ICU and start shaking hands with people. This is obscene. Robbie in Portland, you've got a different theory, Robbie. You're aware of the term disaster capitalism, right? I sure am. I know Naomi Klein. She termed the phrase or popularized the right, phrase right. with her book, Shock right. Doctor. Yeah, so yeah. disaster capitalism, what I'm seeing right now is our government's taking advantage of this situation. Are you aware of the Earn It Act that's been swept through? No. So this is stuff that's going on while we're dealing with the coronavirus. They're literally passing the Earn It Act, which is taking away end-to-end encryption messaging. Everybody should be concerned mm-hmm. about this because basically we're going to see WhatsApp, Signal. Those are either going to be going away or they will no longer be secure. Right. That's what's being passed through this right now. Are you aware that they're stopping the indefinitely detain people without due process? Did you hear about this? AOC was yes. drilling. Yeah, with, with immigrants. Yes, I'm with you on that, Robbie. And by the way, if you so think what that I, an app provided to you by Facebook where they're saying they've got end-to-end decryption and all's good, if you think that that's secure, I got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Right. Well, what I see happening here is our fascist governments, our authoritarian governments, totalitarian governments, basically using this as their way to establish full control. We will not have secure messaging anymore. They'll be able to read everything. Being able to detain people without due process, any authoritarian government does that to. So you're uh, thinking, right. And, And in fact, Viktor Orban just did this in Hungary. He is asking his parliament, I don't know if it passed today or not, uh, but uh, yesterday, he, Viktor Orban, the guy who 10 years ago, nine years ago, Hungary was a, a fully functioning European democracy, and now it's an autocratic government. And Orban wants rule by decree. In other words, whatever words come out of his mouth, that is now the law. And yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is being seized as a gift to authoritarians all around the world. Duterte is doing the same thing. Modi just locked down uh, India, and he's you know authoritarian inclined. We'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes, Robbie, and whether Trump can pull that off here in the United States. You know, look at this thing from Bill Barr, where he says, oh, we should be able to indefinitely detain anybody we want. Really? Deb in Saginaw, Michigan. Hey, Deb, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Quickly, to answer why Trump's doing this is because his philosophy is what they don't know won't hurt me. So um, It won't hurt me. I get it. (laughs) Okay. But anyways, what I did want to talk about was Trump in terms of wanting to ease up these guidelines under the 15 days for the COVID-19 restrictions and that he's talking about how this it's too extreme. Well, this is coming from a man 
who shut down the government for 35 days for his border wall and had 800,000 workers with no money, forced workers to work without pay. He didn't care about the ramifications of these people not having an income and what was going on in their communities. And it behooves me because... Once again, if these companies reopen and these people go back to work and they get sick or die, who's going to be responsible for that? Trump's already said, I'm not responsible. So, I mean, this is the kind of person we are dealing with. And when it comes to him having control over $500 billion with no oversight and no disclosure for over six months, when you know that Trump needs between 70 and $100 billion to finish his wall, and he's going to probably give it to a bunch of his buddies, this is ridiculous. Not to mention bail himself out with his hotel. I mean, He'll be able to run that money through his organization, which he also has properties in other countries. So he's going to be able to do that. Now, when those countries offer relief or bailouts, you can best believe this guy's going to double dip. He's yeah, yeah, absolutely. For that help there. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, the person earlier who said it's disaster capitalism. Sure, from his point of view, he's going to figure out a way to profit from this. Don Rumsfeld, when he was Secretary of Defense, and there was a flu epidemic, and he came out and he said, Tamiflu is the, is the thing that's going to solve this. He had just right. bought up most of the stock in Gilead Sciences, the company that made Tamiflu. Right. Right. So Mikey, right. So when Trump says, we can't let the cure be worse than the problem, I just want to kind of paraphrase a quote from Rollo, where she says, You don't ask or take directions for a journey from someone who's never left home. Who said that? Rollo, apropos for the situation. You know, I could say, go on about, again, the 13,000 farms that have filed for bankruptcy from June of 2018 to 2019. And we don't even know what's happened in this last year. So he doesn't right. care. He just. I think that's care. right. I think that I think that's right, Deb. Uh, until it hits himself and his family, he doesn't he doesn't give a rat's ass. Deb, thanks a lot for the call, and uh, thanks for watching us there on YouTube. Kathy in Quincy, Illinois. Hey, Kathy, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? I keep hearing all these polls about how they're saying that Trump is doing a great job, and should we believe any of that crap? Yeah. Crap. <laughs> Should, uh, I think your answer is embedded within your question, Kathy. <laughs> yeah, the latest he poll showed 54% of Americans. Back, he was wanting to send people back to work before, I mean, anything's really solved. I mean, these I factory workers, I mean, I mean, if you've ever seen a factory line, you don't want to be in there. I, yeah, I can't no. imagine, like, I mean, around here it's not so bad. We had some cases, but it's not like New York City or I felt so bad for the people up at Chicago. Yeah. And I just wonder. I think can... I think what these polls are reflecting are the people who are listening to right wing hate radio and watching Fox yeah. News and, and, and getting their information off Facebook. 
Facebook has become the largest distributor of right-wing hate in the United States and right-wing oh, yeah. so-called news. I think that's what's happening. I think, you know, Facebook is spreading these memes. Donald Trump's campaign is spending millions. They're spending a million dollars a day to spread the idea that he's doing a great job on Facebook. And I think it's taking hold. And I think, frankly, yeah. most of it is being driven by Facebook, Kathy. I oh. can't come up with another answer. Thanks a lot for the call. Lorraine in San Diego. Hey, Lorraine, what's up? Since Trump does not think like the rest of us, that Putin is still influencing him heavily. And I read an article in Alternet last week that asked why Russia wasn't experiencing the same level of virus epidemic as the rest of the country. And if you look at their statistics, it's very low, and they've had only one death. That is if you're to believe their statistics. They don't seem right. to have publicized any urgent need. And if you look at the coincidences based on a timeline of the spread of this virus, it came about, it entered the United States right at the time we were ready to have our primary. If you look at the map, it's in blue states. New York City is the most where populous states. They have, right. And they have it's going after uh, places with initiated the density. and they initiated the suits against Trump to get his tax returns. It's mm -hmm. interesting that it seems to follow that kind of pattern. So are you I, suggesting I that you think, think that Trump is basically trying to burn down the blue states because he doesn't like them? I don't know if it's Trump. I think that there is a revenge influence that he feels he has been wronged in having these suits. His son-in-law, his father was jailed. So I think there is, is this influence. Yeah, amazing. Lorraine, thank you for the call. Food for thought. Unpleasant thought, you know, the president might be intentionally trying to kill us, but still food for thought. Damon in Las Vegas. Hey, Damon, thanks for watching us on YouTube. Uh, now, Chomsky, he calls it manufacturing consent. And basically, you right. wait for a problem, you create a problem, or you just uh, manufacture one out of thin air that actually doesn't even exist, then you control the message. Doesn't matter what the problem is, as long as your message you control. And then you wait for the people to react. And they're going to react and say, hey, we need your help. And then you push forward the agenda that you've been holding to the side. Perfect example is the Patriot Act. They waited for something like 9-11, and they waited for people to react and say, we need something. And they push forward their agenda. This is really simple. You're right. This yeah, the Patriot Act had been around for six or seven years at that point in time, and they just never been able to pass it. So do you think that the end game here is this piece of legislation that Mitch McConnell put together that offered $2 trillion in, quote, stimulus with a $500 billion slush fund that the public would not be allowed to see that would be entirely managed by one guy, Steve Mnuchin, the Republican foreclosure king of California? I believe that's just a small part of the master plan. And the master plan is whatever it is, God knows. But I, I just think that's a right. small part. I think it's a yeah. lot bigger. You know, that's one of the more rational conspiracy theories out there, Damon, that these guys are just, just Naomi Klein's disaster capitalism on steroids. And I don't think that I can debate that. I, you know, I think you may yeah, well be right. Let, Thank you. Never let a good catastrophe go to waste. That was Rahm Emanuel who said never let a crisis go to waste. But, you know, it's a, it's a sentiment that goes back to Machiavelli and probably all the way back to, to Caesar. Damon, thanks for the call. Paul in Chicago. Hey, Paul, what's up? I was watching Rachel Maddow the other day, and she had a thing on about how this web-based thermometer company is tracking temperatures all over the country. Yes. 
and they're yes. seeing huge spikes in certain areas like in Florida. And I was right. thinking about this, and I mean, it's going to sound crazy, but I hope somebody from the health department or somebody's listening. There are hundreds of thousands, if not more, people in the U.S. that use these things called CPAP machines, and a good percentage of them are hooked up to the Internet. And right. the doctors can walk in and see the data on a nightly basis. If the health authorities maybe could somehow get into that data, they might be able to track the progress of this disease and like find hot spots before people may even start getting fevers. I, I, I don't know the science of it, but it would be one way of doing it, assuming they can do it. That's great advice. And, you know, hopefully we'll see more of this kind of hacking our way through this stuff. Tim in Minerva, Ohio. Hey, Tim, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind? Yeah, Tom, I was just wondering, where is Jeff Bezos and all this money? As we all well know, you collect a lot of money in America, you collect a lot of power. Why doesn't a person with that kind of wealth go buy the kits, pay for the clinics to test the kits, and put America back on a healthy path with some of that money that he's making from Amazon? I can't speak to, for, or about Jeff Bezos or any other billionaire, frankly. I don't, God only knows why some billionaires do the things they do. But that said, the time that the testing kits needed to be widely distributed was back in late January, early February. I mean, yes, we need them now, but now private industry is ramping up. Quest is out there selling them. LabCorp is out there selling them. Every state health department, not every state, but you know, here in Oregon, our state health department has developed their own tests, so they're able to test large numbers of people. We're starting to get there in terms of testing. I mean, that's the kind of the good news. We still haven't tested as many people as South Korea, which has one-fourth, I think, of our population, but we're starting to get there. And probably within a week, we will have a much better picture, a much better understanding of how widespread this virus is in the United States and where the hotspots are and what place is going to melt down next. And I'm predicting that it's going to be Florida. But I think that we've got all these kids who went on spring break all over the country and then came back home last week. Two weeks after infection, the symptoms start. Two weeks after the symptoms start, people end up in the hospital or dead. So it's going to be a month from last week. It's going to be another three weeks from now before the, the, this mass explosion spread from spring break happens. Mark my words, that's coming. But I'm not a big fan of salvationistic thinking. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, sitting around saying, oh, if only a rich person would save us is going to help us. Although I get your question. Tom in Miami. Hey, Tom, what's up? Hey, Tom. Appreciate you uh, tremendously. Trace the power. I kind of have a hypothetical thing on what's going on with Trump. If he and his family had caught this disease early, I just want it maybe except for Eric. <laughs> How much money would have been pumped into this earlier? Well, that's one of the things that baffles me, because Trump is famously a germaphobe. He's, he's OCD about germs. He hates shaking hands with people. He eats at fast food restaurants because he believes that in a regular restaurant, somebody might know who you are and not like you and spit on your food. And in a fast food restaurant, it's all pre-made, so nobody can do it. I mean, he's got all these little weird habits and rituals and things that have to do with his being afraid of germs. And for a guy who is such a germaphobe, to say, we're going to let a germ run rampant in our country, and it might end up on my doorstep, baffles me. Yeah, my point was, is if 
he and his family, like I said, minus Eric, would have contracted this disease first, how much further along we would be to cure. Well, I'm with you. You know, if he feels threatened, he's going to move government to protect himself. But what baffles me, Tom, is why he doesn't feel threatened right now by this disease. I mean, he's an old guy. Tom, thanks for the call. Rand Paul and the husband of Amy Klobuchar, her husband's not in the Senate, but she is, and Rand Paul is in the Senate. Amy Klobuchar's husband is so sick that he is in a hospital in Virginia. He was coughing up blood. He has coronavirus. Rand Paul has a coronavirus. He was just tested out of an abundance of caution. Hmm. So senators get tested out of caution. But people who actually have symptoms, who might even be working in some of the hospitals around this country, can't get tested? Really? So Rand Paul is you know, going on social media and whatnot, uh, talking about this. And it's not, shall we say, it's not going well for him. So we'll see how this all shakes out. Congressman Khan, I see you're on the, uh, on the phone board. Are you there? And we, we're all on right. Skype as well, so we're connected. Great. So uh, you're here with us for the hour to take calls from our listeners. And uh, so, you know, we can start that anytime you want. But first, I'd because we do have, you know, calls waiting for you. But first, I'm just wondering what's going on in Congress right now? What's happening around you? How are you doing and your family? I mean, you know, we were just talking about Amy Klobuchar's husband is coughing up blood. He's in the hospital now. Rand Paul is in isolation because he's tested positive. So what's up? Tom, I hope you and your family and all the listeners are safe. It was very sad to hear about Amy Klobuchar's husband. I'm uh, hoping that he has a full recovery and our thoughts are with him. In fact, Jane Sanders had sent out an email updating people on his condition. But it's scary and it shows that it can hit anyone. And of course, people in public life are meeting a lot of folks and so are at risk. Fortunately, I think we were probably all too late. About a week ago, everyone curtailed any activity and I'm working remotely from my uh, home and almost every member of Congress is doing that. I think there's three things that the Congress is focused on. First is the stimulus bill. My view is that the priority of this bill has got to be workers and the nurses on the front line and the doctors on the front line. One of the big bottlenecks to the N95 masks, which I've now figured out from talking to a lot of folks, is that the hospitals aren't willing to prepay for these masks. And so you actually have a tremendous amount of supply from that people have identified from China, from Germany, from other places, but the hospitals aren't willing to take a risk to prepay them. And so we're not getting all of the masks we need. And so one of the things the stimulus ought to do is give money to FEMA to say FEMA is going to guarantee prepayment on these masks so we can get the masks to the people who need them. And we ought to be fully funding the Defense Production Act. Right now, it's funded at $750 million. That needs to be about $75 billion if we really want to be paying a premium for ventilators and the types of supplies that we need. And then finally, I have said that we need a shelter in place nationwide for two weeks, that the patchwork of having seven, eight states do it is not enough. And I've been circulating a letter trying to get Congress to call for that in the absence of the administration doing that. 
Yeah. I did a story on the show last week, I think it was Thursday, about how for-profit hospitals were refusing to buy ventilators, even though ventilators were available from suppliers in Germany. There's actually several different countries that are exporting ventilators right now. That number of for-profit hospitals were refusing to buy them because they're forty dollars to $50,000 each, and they thought that this will be a passing thing and they don't want to be making that kind of an investment in something that's just going to be a short-term problem. This is crazy stuff. This is crazy. It really is, and that's the actual bottleneck is that the hospitals aren't purchasing them, they're not willing to prepay or they're not willing to buy them. And that's where, you know, either one of two things need to happen. Either the federal government needs to step in and say, we're going to guarantee the payment of these things and we're going to pay for that. Uh, You know, I mean, Trump keeps talking about how the Defense Production Act is nationalizing industry. It's not. You can actually just say we're going to pay for these things and that would be enough incentive. So either the federal government needs to step in or, frankly, we need a private philanthropist, a uh, Bill Gates type of person who's going to see the bigger picture and say, okay, I'm going to guarantee these prepayments or guarantee these hospitals funding. Obviously, long term, we need much more change in our healthcare system, and it shows the dangers of a a profit-based system. But for right now, we just need someone to step up so people can get these masks. Yeah, I'd love to see us go back to a system where we're requiring hospitals, and for that matter, insurance companies, to be nonprofit corporations, you know, as a starting point. But yeah. So shall we pick up phone calls? Absolutely. Okay, let's go for it. Laura in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call, and good luck to everybody in Congress with their families and their health. So um, I'm very, very concerned, and many of us are concerned, because last week there was a little tit-for-tat between Trump and um, the FDA over some medications that was reported by South Korean infectious disease doctors, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, to be effective against COVID-19. There's others, too. Shanghai, China put out a report that they were using high-dose IV vitamin C with a lot of effectiveness. But it seems like the block is at the FDA... And we're wondering if there's anything, could you have a hearing about this? Could you bring up this issue in Congress so that the FDA streamlines some of these things? These countries, South Korea, China, Italy, have had a lot of clinical experience already. And we should really take their clinical experience and be able to fast track some of these things. Yeah, I would add that the study on chloroquine was done on 20 people. And 10 of them took the chloroquine and 10 of them did not. And one of the 10 who was taking the chloroquine had to drop out because of the side effects of the drug and another one died. But there was apparently one additional person who died among the 10 who were not taking the chloroquine. And that's what the president is basing all this stuff on. That's the, that's the thing that's going to be published. Anyhow, Congressman Khanna. Well, Laura, I'm all for streamlining the FDA. Where the streamline ought to have happened first was on the World Health Organization tests. I mean, the unbelievable scandal in this whole thing is that we did not take the tests from the World Health Organization. And when I asked the CDC director uh, and Dr. Fauci about why we didn't, they just said, well, we usually rely on our quality control and our manufacturing and our standards. Uh, But the reality is the World Health Organization tests were plenty fine. uh, South Korea, a lot of other countries use them. Uh, And in the future, certainly we ought to be using the tests from international organizations like the World Health Organization. I still think we ought to use those tests uh, while we don't have a better solution. I'm all for 
streamlining the novel treatments. Trump is doing that now in, in candor, but we can't oversell or overpromise these treatments. We need to be careful in going all in on a treatment that may not work. So while I'm all for experimentation, I don't think we should overhype the promise until we have real science and evidence to back up any claim. Yeah. Jenny in Lebanon, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Kata. Hi, Congressman. I'm a self-employed house cleaner. While I don't pay any federal income tax because my income is so low, I pay 15% into self-employment tax. And I got behind in it, so I have a tax payment agreement with the IRS. And while they're talking about giving payment holidays for student loans, those of us who owe back taxes who can't work because our clients have canceled on us for social distancing, we need the tax holiday on that, too, and to stop those interest and penalties coming. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm very, very sympathetic to that and would support that. I think the broader point is that we need to make sure any of the benefits of the stimulus go to people like you, people who are struggling either uh, with small businesses to make ends meet and keep payroll or, or workers themselves, and certainly students who are struggling to pay debt uh, because they can't make the monthly payment. Uh, but all of that needs to be the priority as opposed to a large bailout for industry where that money may go to executives or, or shareholders. I don't think the country needs a repeat of some of what happened with previous bailouts that were poorly structured. Julian, watching us on YouTube in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hey, Congressman. So I wanted to talk about the actual coronavirus, how there isn't, there doesn't seem to be like a lot of peripheral evidence that I'm seeing, especially across like globally. I know countries like Romania are still like walking around, even still socializing in public. And it's kind of concerning. Is there a contingency for if the best case scenario like pans out like there has to be some type of ramification for stay at home orders like cabin fever depression and general issues living amongst people even from like a social perspective i mean it's not sustainable even if you write it out even past like the 15 day period it's real especially in households yeah so congressman you want to comment on that well julian i think you're absolutely right that we have to deal with the mental health implications Uh, people being at home, people not having the same social life, the fear that this is induced. I mean, when people are, for the first time, perhaps since the Great Depression, running out of basic supplies, where there's a run on grocery stores, there's a run on uh, toilet paper, on on paper towels, and that had psychological impact on, uh, on many Americans. And so I definitely think that there has to be a sense of investment in psychology and counseling and mental health from this crisis. Yeah. Do you think that there's going to be any help from the federal government to help us through this? I do think there's going to be a large stimulus bill. I mean, the question is how many compromises is it going to have where it doesn't really help workers and and healthcare providers, but is a handout to industry. And we're fighting very hard to make sure that's not the case. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls. He's the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents uh, Silicon Valley in California in the House of Representatives. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, 
all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, Congressman Ro Khanna, the Vice Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, is taking your calls. David in Columbus, Ohio, you are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, Tom, Congressman. Hi, David. I just have a quick question. Could you and your colleagues in the House add an amendment to any corporate bailout that requires both transparency and record-keeping of data that includes how much they take, how it's used, measurable goals and outcomes? Because it seems to me that future researchers will be able to use this to prepare for any crises that come in the future. David, that's a great idea. It's a very reasonable request. It's similar to what Senator Warren and some of us in the House have been pushing for. Uh, We've been saying there have to be clear guidelines, first of all, that the money shouldn't be used for stock buybacks, for giving money for dividends, for increasing pay for executives. But I think adding transparency 
is very important, and we will push for that. That we, at the very least, the taxpayers need an accounting of what happened with this money, so that it doesn't just go into a black hole where we leave the uh, distribution to the discretion of the executives running these companies. Lee in Tallahassee, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. This isn't my original question, but I would like to know if the amount that is going to individuals, has that actually passed? Lee, it has not yet. We have proposed the Tim Ryan and I actually proposed uh, that it should be up to $12,000 for six months. Other senators have proposed up to $4,500. And the administration is proposing a one-time check of $1,200 and then possibly another one in, in May. I think that's inadequate, but would support any type of cash program. Right now, it's being negotiated in the Senate, and Senator Schumer has said it's likely to pass So people will be getting some form of check. I don't have any doubt about that. My concern is two things. One, is it going to be sustained or is it just going to be a one-time check? And two, is the bulk of the benefits going to go to people or is it going to go to these corporations? I think both Bernie and Liz Warren are calling for a couple thousand dollars a month per month on an ongoing basis until this crisis is over. Do I have that right? You do, exactly. Bernie has said $2,000. I'm sure Senator Warren would support that. Whether it's exactly $2,000 or in the ballpark, there is a clear consensus among economists that this has to be sustained, that it has to be over the period of at least six months, and just a one-time check is not enough. Right. Hey, Ramon, thanks for listening to 910 AM. What's on your mind today? Uh, Yes, uh, with regards to a regular monthly check that might be used as a stimulus, My concern is that this might push people over the line where they're no longer eligible for state Medicaid and that this could conceivably be used as a way to throw people off of the uh, various state Medicaids across the country. What are your uh, thoughts on that? Mm, Thank you. That's a thoughtful point. Uh, We we need to make sure that the language in the bill doesn't count this payment as income towards uh, those qualifications and doesn't tax the check. So those safeguards need to be in it. Uh, More broadly, I think what we need is a massive expansion of Medicaid on a one-time basis to give governors funds so that they can have a lot more people covered under Medicaid while this crisis is going on. Winston in, in Independence, Missouri. We have just a minute, Winston. Thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. I just wanted to mention that the Jobs for All Act was introduced in February of 2019. It's H.R. 1000, and it would be very helpful right now in terms of uh, if it could be expedited. There's a provision in there to provide grants. The federal government just puts money in a trust fund and then could give grants to state, local governments, nonprofits, businesses for the provision of human services, including child care, health care, and support services for people with special needs. I want to encourage you to take a look at that. Thank you, Winston. Thank you, Winston. I will take a look at that. I mean, I think we're going to need a massive program of economic rebuilding after this crisis. Obviously, the first priority is to get the pandemic under control, to understand the human toll this is taking on on people. But after that, we need an economic strategy, and that's got to be a massive infrastructure strategy. It's got to be some program of supporting jobs across this country. And if those jobs can be in healthcare work or childcare work or dealing with people who have special needs, I think those are great jobs that we should be creating. 
Clay in Vicksburg, Mississippi. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, and thank you all for what you're doing. I had a comment about the issue with the hospitals and businesses and such having to pay for, you know, having to pay for the stuff that we need to prevent this national emergency. It seems to me that that should be the job of the government since this is a national emergency and not individual businesses. I just wanted to get your take on that. Well, I agree with you completely. I've been pushing FEMA to, to pay for it. And it's worse. It's not even that the hospitals are asking the government to pick up the bill. They're actually just even asking for a line of credit. I mean, what happens is, let's say you've got masks in China or Germany. The hospitals don't want to pay until the masks are actually in their possession because they don't know if something could go wrong, if a gov- country could stop those masks from coming. And so they don't want to assume the risk and they don't have a budget to be able to assume that risk. And so this is one of the biggest bottlenecks in us getting these medical supplies. And all they're asking the federal government is not even to pick up the cost, which I think the federal government ought to do. All they're saying is guarantee the payment, which they're happy to reimburse once they get the product. And so uh, just like the Fed has given an extraordinary line of credit to banks, I don't understand why FEMA can't be giving a line of credit to our hospitals to get whatever they need. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Yeah, hi. I guess I may have asked Tom this before, but why can't we take our for-profit health insurance companies, which are days, you know, soon to end, and find a way to give them incentives to use their money to build teaching hospitals and medical research, actually get involved in helping people? Because, you know, they got a trillion dollars or something that should be moved into something really need more people who get health care more doctors we're going to need and right now it'd be great if we had something like that is that possible well bill i mean under the defense production act which the president has invoked he has the power to do that he has the power to direct any company in this country to help solve this crisis for the next how many months this crisis goes on what I would say, and what I've been saying to leaders in Silicon Valley, tech leaders, I said, this is your moment to step up to the call of duty, to, to do things that will show with the extraordinary amount of success that some people have had that, that you understand and are willing to give back. And some have. I mean, Mark Benioff at Salesforce has been backstopping orders for hospital masks. Others are doing things in terms of finding investments on vaccines or antivirals. But we need every corporate leader doing that. And frankly, we need the government doing it. But in the absence of the government, I fear other citizens are going to have to step up. Nancy in Renton, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Gentlemen, my question for actually both of you would be, where is the Biden campaign as far as coming out with their solutions and leadership to help with the coronavirus? Normally, you want to see a leader who is going to be your Democratic choice, and we want to know what his leadership is going to look at. And I will take my answer off the air. Thank you. Well, Nancy, the Vice President Biden has uh, put out his six-point plan of what he would do, but I, I think we have to be coordinated and make sure that that message is being heard. I mean, I, I think that both the vice president and Senator Sanders should be front and center of articulating a unified Democratic Party response, both in terms of providing free health care 
to folks. And by the way, it's not just health care for coronavirus and coronavirus treatment. I mean, when you have people being laid off in the millions, they need treatment beyond just for the coronavirus. So we need to be talking about how we're going to provide them health care, how we're going to forgive student loans, how we're going to get cash infusion, how are we going to get real paid sick leave in this country, how are we going to deal with child care when people are having challenges of working from home and, and their kids there, how are we going to deal with rebuilding our economy. All of the things the Democratic Party stands for, this is our time to have that message come through and we ought to be unified in speaking with one voice. Ivan in Bartlett, Illinois, was asking, why is the stimulus package being held up in the Senate? The stimulus package is being held up in the Senate because Democratic senators like Schumer and Warren are fighting to make sure we don't just give bailout handouts to industry executives and shareholders and that we actually give this money to ordinary Americans who need it. There you go. Thank you so much. Congressman Connor, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Great talking with you. And thank you all for being with us today, too. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag your it, and take good care of yourself and friends and family and acquaintances. Be good, you know. Nurture yourself and those around you. have been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 